Welcome to Project Update, a podcast about the projects we're working on and things that shouldn't take too long. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Joe? Pretty good. Things yeah? that shouldn't take too long, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me just knock that out for you. Yeah, be, be easy. <laughs> put, put that on my tombstone. <laughs> so I have one of those things that was uh, the opposite of that. Like this is a really oh. complicated thing that's going to take weeks or months worth of work. And we talked a little bit about it last time. I was finishing up work on the FM perception next list views and getting to work on the detail views. And there are kind of two parts of the detail views that need to be done. One is what I'm tentatively calling metadata, but it's really just when you go from a list view to a detail view, it's the local data for that record. Mm -hmm. um, so they, that's like the first tab that you load on the detail views. And then we've got a series of vertical tabs and all the other tabs are the subqueries of related stuff, mm -hmm. you know, references, things like that. The subqueries vary wildly depending on what entity you're on, but everything has that kind of first metadata card. And the kind of roughed up prototype that I've had working in the system so far was basically just getting the data back from SQL and printing it out in these kind of little purple header cards with, you know, a simple table with, you know, labels on one side and the values on the other side. And that was fine to just get data on the screen. But after figuring out how much data is in all of these things, I needed I sort of looking at ways to create the data for those cards. And it was just ridiculously complicated <laughs> and not hard. It was just going to be like a, a ton of work, yeah. a ton of very easy, but time consuming work. And I ran some ideas by you. We kicked some stuff around. And during that conversation, you like, we didn't even like dwell on it during the conversation, but you, you casually mentioned, just reuse the data from the list views. And that stuck in my head over the weekend. And I started thinking about ways to do that. So the all of the AG grids are driven by a column definition array. It's just a, a giant JavaScript array full of JavaScript objects that have everything about each column is going to show up, including column groups and data types and renders and you know how to link data together for some of our more complex columns. And I was thinking about how, how can I just use that data directly? And in most cases, I had already abstracted that specific array out of the list view component mm -hmm. because they're often going to be need, needed to be used on multiple list views. Um, so I decided, what, let me import that into a detail view. And I just started with, uh, with table fields. So let me go to the detail view for table fields and import that and see what I can do with this data to loop through it and just create that kind of metadata style card in a way that is relatively straightforward. And I got a decent way into it before I ran into the only kind of minor roadblock, which was our custom renderers. The way that we're using those in view is AG Grid has a, a property called, I think it's a cell render framework and you pass it 
a view component, not a string that indicates a view component, not a JavaScript <laughs> object. It's literally a view component. And it only works because we're in a Webpack environment that knows how to turn that into whatever it's going to be after the code is compiled or transpiled or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's not actually valid JSON. So we can't really serialize that the way it is and use it on the detail view. And we looked at some different ways of doing that and just settled on not doing that and just adding an additional property that AG Grid can ignore, but we can use to determine the you know, column slash row type of the data on the detail view. So it's kind of weird. On the list view, these objects define the column. On the detail view, they define a row, which is not confusing at all. <laughs> so we went through, I added, I added a, just a series of find and replaces to go like find all the Boolean cell renders and replace them with this Boolean render and an additional property called like helper type with a string of Boolean. And I can just switch on that in my detail component. And it took a couple of days to you know, create the renders for the, the detail view and do all the replaces and, you know, just kind of find enough data to test with. So I ended up using table fields, tables, file options, um, table occurrence notes were really helpful to test a couple of things and themes and styles just to test all the different data types that we have. And uh, yeah, by, the end of day Friday, I had something that I can now use on, you know, 30 plus components relatively easily. And this week we'll be just going and implementing that in lots of different places. Yeah. The, the really cool thing here for active FM perception users is in classic FM perception, I had to decide from the full set of metadata in the detail which properties were going to make it into the list. And with the stuff that you've done in AG Grid with uh, column groups and being able to hide those groups, it allows us to actually put all the metadata into the grid, mm -hmm. which means all the data is in both places. It gets rid of a whole class of support requests that I deal with on a regular basis of, I really like this value and it's in the details section, but it's not in the list and I want to get an export or I want to filter on it or something like that. And so all of that disappears and it had this additional knock-on effect of making it easy to reverse it and use the same styling in both places. It's awesome. Yeah, pretty neat stuff. The other thing that was fun was the, the group types. So when you're looking at the AG grid column data, there's a JavaScript object for each column. And for groups, that is just another column with an additional property called children, which is an array of subcolumns. And when I got to working with groups on the detail component, I needed to use the component that I was writing in the component that I was writing. And it turns out Vue does support recursive components. So we now have a recursive component that renders all of those column groups and indents everything inside a group. <laughs> it's pretty slick. So yeah, that was that's my uh, FM perception update. What about you? You've got a, a whole punch list of stuff. Yeah, we uh, we put together a great big list of things that I needed to tackle, and I said this. You know, I, I heard all the things on the list and went, yeah, this shouldn't take too long. All of these are relatively small. 
Mm -hmm. And so I said, I'm going to start with an easy one. Let's just do a documentation task. Mm -hmm. Should be simple. We've got one particular property that exists on a bunch of different data types. I will document all the possible values for those things. Easy, right? Easy peasy. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're all, it's all going to be in the code, right? I'm going to have little switch statements and things like that that are doing stuff. And the answer is no, not simple. Because there are certain spots where I was actually trusting FileMaker to give me the value. So mm -hmm. this, this subcategory, kind of a detail category for a thing, like for example, uh, what kind of field is it? Um, was, I was actually grabbing FileMaker's value and just using it. Yeah, and not to mention there's like three different ways to answer that question, which is not. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what field type is it as defined versus what storage type? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. Um, <clears throat> so then I had to, I mean, because I'm documenting this now, it's kind of nailing it down. I had to go through and make sure I was covering every possible variation, which it's a little early in the process in my head for me to be doing that, but that's okay. I mean, I can do it. So, hey, let's just make one of every kind of layout object. Straightforward, right? There's a toolbar at the top. Just drag one of everything down and we're done. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't get them all because there's two layout object types, at least, that aren't in the toolbar. Hmm. One of them is a, a group of objects. The group yeah. is a layout object which contains other layout objects. And if you then take that group and make it so that when you click on the group, it runs a script, that's a different object type, which is a group button, mm -hmm. which I primarily caught because A, I've already done some of this code in classic FM perception, so I could cross-reference back and forth to see if I was covering everything. And also the fact that I expected to see a group button in the list and didn't get one and went, why didn't I get one? Oh, that's cause blah. Um, so yeah, I'm actually still working on that one. And that one just sucked. It sucked. I was like, I was all psyched and ready to go. And the first task just sucked the wind out of me. I've actually like stuck a pin in that one. And I'm like, I'm going to do some, some ones that I'm pretty sure going to be easier. <laughs> yeah during that conversation we had about coming up with this list you mentioned that one of the barriers to getting started on it was that you have to set up the development environment again because you were using the dtk for your build process before mm -hmm. and that was one of the hurdles i think you should maybe just if you haven't done so already make that the objective for a day or two just to get yeah. that open rather than thinking of it as a dependency yeah my my current plan is just to leave that for last. It's it's I know what's going to be involved in it. It's just stepping through because it's a six or seven stage process mm -hmm. to get back signed code from Apple. Um, but all of those steps are documented, so I just have to kind of work through it and go. Okay, this piece is missing. I don't have a app specific digital key stored in my keychain with this particular name that will allow me to submit these things using the command line. Okay. Let me, let me make one. If I can't make the exact same thing all over again, I'll make something with a different name and then adjust the code to use that name when it submits and 
test each one of those parts and make sure everything works. So yeah, now I'm, what I was working on actually this morning was the Booleans for supporting those column groups. Mm -hmm. So on, for example, table fields, one of the things we want to have is kind of a storage and indexing group. And when you collapse that group, we, I don't really want it to be showing um, any single particular column value. So we're going to reduce that to a single Boolean with a nice checkbox or dot that can say, is this indexed? And if it is, then you might want to expand those columns out to see additional details in the grid. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, it's obvious that all the things you're looking at aren't indexed. And so there's going to be no useful or interesting information in that group. But a property that says, is this calculation unstored? doesn't exist in FileMaker. Yeah. It, it has, you have to kind of look at a couple of different properties and, and aggregate them together to say, this is indexed or this is unstored. And so those were actually fairly straightforward, but had the little additional mental overhead of, uh, these are some of the first of the derived properties that I'm adding. So things that are not explicitly in the XML, but that we nonetheless want to display and have column values for. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out exactly how I wanted to map those out and how I want to do in the structure, because by the time I'm done, I'm going to have 50 or a hundred of them. Yeah. Across all the different data types. And those are going to be where the greatest area of addition is going to be in a lot of our support requests going forward is I need a column that that reduces all this noise to a yes no value. Yeah, and currently we have a lot of this implemented on the front end as kind of like render only properties. Like mm -hmm. they're not actually data under the hood. AG grid will I can define a a column and a column type will, that will spit out and render a result, but you can't actually do anything with that. You can't query that because it's not stored anywhere I the guess most most of the data the most important thing to me in that element is we can't even sort by it no you can sort by it like i've we got can't? the hex one and you can sort by oh. it but you can't filter by it because they're oh okay like the hex code is derived from four uh i think it's integers from the rgba values mm -hmm. and you can you have to filter on those to to find out the specific thing, but there is no storage for that hex code in the data. Gotcha. Can sort, can't filter. Well, mm -hmm. I'm glad we didn't clarify that before because I might have said, as long as we have sorting, we don't need filtering. And then I would have skipped all of this and that wouldn't have helped anybody. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on getting back into it, getting some stuff. Hopefully have something for you this week. I really hope. Cool. So what else are you messing with? So my WebXR links project is getting close to launch. I plan on launching Sweet. next Sunday, maybe middle of the day. And uh, I pretty much, I haven't really done anything else with the development. I pretty much developed the entire site over two days, almost a month ago. And it's been kind of sitting there slowly filling out with content. 
and uh, you know, I made some minor changes here and there and uh, fixed a couple issues. But the only thing I really changed over the last couple of weeks was I wanted some basic analytics or stats for the site, but I didn't want creepy analytics. So I went with Jetpack, <laughs> which is basically the you know, wordpress.com services to go. So all the stuff that you can get if you were to make a wordpress.com domain or website, um, you can kind of take all of those features with you if you're hosting your own WordPress install. And you, you can selectively enable or disable the specific features that you wanted. I just wanted you know, basic site stats and a couple other kind of convenience features under the hood. And got all that set up and working and linked to the site and um, they also have a really nice like privacy policy generator to look through all the features that you're using from them and kind of generate a privacy policy as a starting point. So I spent some time pouring over that and that actually gave me an indication of like which features I wanted to use and which I didn't. Um, like they so have a- it, it actually interrogates the site to figure out what stuff you're doing so that your privacy policy addresses that? No. It figures out what Jetpack features I'm using. Okay. My jetpack. Ah, so gotcha. It, so, you know, it ships with 30 plus features and I just select the ones that I'm using and it generates text for, with that. Okay. That's still really cool, but. Yeah, I got all that set up and working. Really, I just wanted to make sure I'm doing some basic site stats without any kind of external trackers or third-party trackers, which is mm -hmm. kind of fun to just, you know, open the site in Safari and check the little security badge and see no trackers detected on the site. <laughs> That's what I want to see. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then trying to kind of balance like the, the desire I have for some basic stats with, you know, user privacy and, and you're just kind of being a good web citizen. So yeah, it, it's interesting because I, this is the only web project I've ever done for myself. Like I have a business site, but that's, that's like, a bare minimum thing that I pushed out a couple of years ago. But this site is the point of the site is the site. It's not a site for something else. It's not something, it's not a consulting project. It's not pointing at something else. Like it is the thing, it is the product. And it's interesting to kind of approach it that way. And I've never really had a project like that. So yeah, the, the tricky part has been, I've, I've kind of put myself on light duty until I can go to a doctor. I've actually got a doctor's appointment this Friday to start the process of looking at what is wrong with my arm and wrist. Mm -hmm. But I've been putting myself on light duty until then and limiting how many hours I can work, which is one of the reasons I did this entire project on WordPress because I don't have to write much code. I think I've only actually got two lines of code that I have written that are currently active <laughs> in this project. <laughs> two lines. <laughs> Now I'm really curious what those lines do. There's just a couple of settings I talk about on in the functions.php file. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting to like think through how to do things and try to avoid any of that. Like I have a tendency to want to automate as much of this publishing process as possible. Mm -hmm. But you know, I sat down and wrote out a list of what I would do. I could do it all in FileMaker and push it all through the API and and just have this awesome workflow, but it was going to take me, you know, 20 or 30 hours worth of development to get there. And 
over a long enough time scale, that's a good thing to do. But mm -hmm. right now where I can barely use a computer, that's not a good use of my time, particularly because I'm only going to be saving myself three or four minutes per link or link post. So mm -hmm. it's just not really worth automating right now. So it's been kind of interesting. Like, here's all the things I can do and I really want to, but I'm not going to. And just like, just print that out and put that in the corner. Like, we'll come back to you in a couple months. The site is pretty much good to go. I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of this week populating it with content. I've got some sample content there now, but I wanted to launch with around 20 to 30 links and a spotlight post and maybe two or three collection posts. And then uh, turn it on this Sunday or you know, around noon or one, something, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably see the announcement there. Got, I've even got a Twitter account set up for it. And um, I need to do like a little RSS page where people can subscribe to the site as a whole or maybe just to the links or just to the collections or just the spotlights, kind of give people some options. But yeah, that's about it. Very cool. Looking forward to getting it out there. One thing that I've been doing with this as a, you know, treating this as a hobby project, this, all the time I've done on this has been nights and weekends. So, you know, after dinner, I'll go pull a link from my to-do list and check it out in the browser in the quest and maybe capture some screenshots and videos. And then I've got most of this workflow where I can do the entire pipeline in VR. I don't have to leave VR. Mm -hmm. And part of this is Oculus has enabled some of their infinite office features recently, including support for a mediocre keyboard. Mm -hmm. um, it's called the Logitech K830. And it's like a little TV keyboard. It's got a trackpad built into it. And it, the keyboard itself is fine. The trackpad is kind of sad. <laughs> Um, less fine <laughs> yeah but the the cool thing about this is the the quest can actually recognize it and then we'll create a digital representation of it in vr so you can see yourself typing if you need to find where is that specific bracket character things like that yeah i saw the video that you posted on twitter of you using that and <laughs> yeah I, I could have used a little bit of a voiceover like describing what you were doing or maybe a video recording of the process that could go side by side so I could see what you were seeing because a lot of your movements were very subtle, just mm -hmm. little, little tiny hand movements and your, your pinches were pretty small. And I mean, I, I was really impressed by how small it was. I was expecting your arms to be flying all over the place, yeah. but, but it was a little tough. Like I, Having not done it, I don't know what that looks like to you while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it works with hand tracking and it kind of toggles between showing you a representation of your actual hands while you're typing and then you lift your hands off the keyboard and your hand turn into the, the VR version of them for like pointing gestures and selection and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting to watch it go between those states. It's so like when I'm typing, I'm actually seeing my hands through the camera. But when I raise them up a little bit, I'm seeing the, you know, the kind of sobel shaded low poly version of them mm -hmm. as using hand tracking. Um, it's really slick. It's, you know, it's, there's all kinds of bugs and issues with it. This is an experimental feature. Um, I would not run out and buy a quest for this feature right now. 
particularly because they only support the one keyboard and it's not a very good keyboard. <laughs> but this is one of those things that they're going to be using this as a learning process. I, I would not be surprised if by the end of the year, they just can understand any keyboard layout, just recognize it and use some machine learning to kind of anchor it in and can I keep track of it as you move it around? So it's not like a tracked object. It doesn't move through space when I swing it around like the controller does, but it does reacquire it. So if mm. I push the keyboard away from me, it'll reacquire it after a second and kind of redraw it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty pretty cool like that. Um, like I said, the trackpad is the worst part of the experience. So I'm trying to use hand tracking for any pointer stuff. And you can do like this kind of weird pinching gesture to do a single selection and you can do a, a pinch and hold to do a like a context click or a right click so it's you know a basic mouse and uh the the worst part about it is that the cameras are they have a relatively narrow field of view in terms of what they can track for hands so you end up kind of working in some odd positions so i don't think no matter how good the software gets I don't think this particular generation of hardware is going to be a super comfortable all day working environment for many people. But I think if they launch a future product with a specific hand tracking focused camera, like right in the middle, that's covering a wider field of view, maybe with a LIDAR sensor instead of just a a grayscale camera, um, this could get way better. But yeah, it's, it's super neat. And it's, really need to see what I can do just in a browser. Like I joked around that this is just a Chromebook for your face. I'm doing WordPress stuff in there, responding to emails in Outlook and using Notion for notes, particularly on the the links project. Notion is particularly good because it um, they've made just everything accessible to the keyboard. You almost never need to use a, a mouse in Notion. So it's one of those things like one of the big limitations to the trackpad or just the the Oculus browser in general is like click and drag doesn't really work. Like I have not gotten that to work on anything. So like my to-do list, Microsoft to-do, I often will click and drag a task into another project and that just doesn't work on that trackpad. And I'm not sure if it's a trackpad thing or an Oculus thing, but it's one of those weird limitations. But yeah, it's... It's not the future, it's the present. Like this is how things are now and it's just gonna get better. Yeah. But it's pretty exciting stuff. So that's my new workstation. And I also got a new workstation. <laughs> but what, what'd you get, Joe? Well, I got an M1 Mac. <laughs> Didn't you already have an M1 Mac? Well, what about second M1 Mac? <laughs> I'm sorry, I made you do that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I uh, I got a MacBook Air, just the base model, um, for reasons, but mainly <laughs> mainly those reasons are I can rationalize anything if I put my mind to it. <laughs> um, the the excuses that I fed myself was that it's it's time to replace my development server. Uh, it's been getting pretty slow, and I've had to restart it pretty frequently. And uh, so I'm going to use the M1 Mac mini as the new development server, but I'm not going to use it as just a development server. I'm going to keep it set up as a workstation and just 
it needs to run FileMaker server, which doesn't take a ton of resources because I'm the only one connecting to it. And then a couple other things, some file sharing and some media sharing stuff. But I'm just gonna, rather than my, my current development server is like, it's running headless, it's sitting underneath, like in the bottom of a cabinet with the router and uh, modem and stuff like that. But the, the newer one's gonna stay on the desk where it is and plug into a nice monitor and a good keyboard. And then using the, so I, I can't really figure out what is the primary workstation because I'm using them both, but they're almost entirely identical because everything I do is web related. Like there's a couple native apps that I use, but they're identical on the two machines. And the MacBook Air is surprisingly good. I was kind of worried about getting something without any cooling that has the same power as the Mac mini, but I think the MacBook Air is noticeably faster in certain areas. And I think it's just because it's not drawing as many pixels because the other ones plug into a 4K monitor and just certain things seem to be way snappier on the MacBook Air. I'm not really sure why other than that. <laughs> but it's been really nice to, you know, when I'm, when I'm on the MacBook or when I'm on the M1 Mac mini, I'm in one or two postures. I'm either standing at the desk or sitting at the desk. And I've got pretty appalling posture with both of those. And, you know, I, I do that as long as I can. And I try to, you know, keep my shoulders back and stand up straight and whatever. But it's really nice to just be able to grab the MacBook and go to the park and get myself into a different position for a while or go sit on the couch or sit on the floor or lay in bed. So it's, it's provided some additional ways of working and getting some stuff done. And actually the, over the last week I've done all of my work sitting in a recliner in my office or in at a picnic table in the park. I have not walked up to my desk at all. <laughs> and granted that's only about 20 hours worth of work, but it's not too bad. Although I am not sitting in the company recliner right now. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my updates. I've got uh, my second dose scheduled this afternoon and then congratulations thank you so i i've got being real sleepy scheduled for tomorrow mm -hmm. if your experience is any indication um unfortunately like as i plan out my week uh fm perception is my development focus to tomorrow so sorry dave <laughs> <laughs> we'll see yeah that's okay I've, I've allotted a development day to you uh, i'll try my best but yeah, I should be fine. My dad, my dad and I have you know, similar reactions to everything. He said he didn't really have any side effects. Oh, good. So yeah, and then doctors this Friday to finally, this is just a Joe going to a regular doctor because when I contacted my insurance company to tell them, you know, to find out where I needed to start, they said, oh, you, you just need to start with a regular doctor and get, you know, get a physical and, and get some input from them on what to do next whether or not I can do physical therapy or I need the surgery or, or whatever. So yeah, I probably won't find out anything this week, but at least get the process started. It's like, this one, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know, I've, I've tried literally everything else <laughs> rather than going to a doctor. And finally, I just need to swallow my pride and go to the doctor. So in the last couple of weeks, we, uh, we got the announcement that, Claris Engage was going to be different again this year than it was last year. 
Mm. Last year it was entirely virtual, but spanned a couple of days. Um, and there were a bunch of adjustments that we had to make, like, like being a vendor for that kind of event is weird. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so adjusting for that and this year they're going kind of way off script and they've got kind of a year of engage scheduled. And so it's going to be smaller events and, and, uh, releases of content spread out throughout the year. So I have literally no idea what it looks like to try and vend to that kind of audience. Um, maybe yeah, you we, shouldn't. Maybe you just get together with a couple other vendors and maybe just throw a, a separate event. I, and that may well end up happening. Um, I don't know exactly what Todd's got planned. He put together a big thing last year that was really successful. But the primary concern for me is that tradition, you know, when, when DevCon was in person, mm -hmm. the two or three weeks surrounding DevCon was my best quarter. Yeah. Like it beat out any other three months. Um, it was really good for sales, really good for getting in front of people that otherwise wouldn't have taken the time to look. Mm -hmm. And virtual engage last year hurt a little bit. This new engage, I have no idea. Yeah. So I've been kind of trying to figure out, you know, come up with some ideas for things to do. Um, one of them, I actually got tapped this week to present at uh, .fmp, okay. which is the German FileMaker event, which is virtual, but this would be an in-the-timeline presentation, which... Uh, seems to be really effective for getting people to attend. You know, you look at the four sessions that are running at a particular time and decide which one you want to catch. A certain percentage of people will say, hey, that sounds interesting. I'll catch Dave's presentation. Um, and those are fantastic for sales purposes. I've got to figure out what that looks like in the context of FM perception and FM comparison. Because mm -hmm. having 45 minutes to an hour to present FM perception was already difficult. <laughs> I've done a couple of, of smaller user groups and things like that. So I've got some ideas for how that would work, but that's actually coming up in a couple of weeks. It's early to mid June. Hmm. So I've got to figure out what that, presentation looks like and figure out how to best communicate with that audience. And then also playing with some stuff with office hours. Mm -hmm. So every Thursday afternoon, I sit down for an hour plus with whoever wants to show up and ask questions or things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, a, a more in-person support mechanism than just sending an email to a help desk. Sometimes it's really helpful to be able to chat the problem back and forth. But in recent months, I've kind of been having some difficulties with attendance. Um, people just 
don't really show up. I have kind of my regulars and I love my regulars. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. But the, the part of the hope is to get more people to show up. What I noticed on a couple of occasions is that instead of just saying, hey, here's office hours, it's open time, you can ask anything, I get dramatically better attendance if I actually officially state a topic. Yeah. And so the last two weeks, we've kind of, we've done one. I mean, we had dramatically more people when all I said was, hey, Joe's going to be there. (laughs) And a bunch of people showed up to take part in that conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, last week it was one particular FM comparison support requests that somebody had that I just said, that's our topic. Nice. It was, um, I, I've had a couple of people ask, okay, this FM comparison is awesome. How do I get data out of it? Does it have a, a print or an export or something like that? And I really wanted to spend some time getting input from the community about what the optimal version for that looks like. What do they really need? What do they want? The end result of that conversation was, in a lot of cases, what they really just want is a data dump. They want to get an export. I'm sure some users would like a printed report that they can just spool off, but Mm -hmm. dumping the data out into CSV or tab and being able to bring it back in and into FileMaker or Excel and do some reporting on it. Everybody's all about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I'm not jumping on that immediately, but the input was fantastic. And it was, you know, eight to 10 people for an hour to two hours. I mean, the whole we didn't really wrap up for like two and a half hours, but it was just, as long as people wanted to talk about it and had interesting input, I was more than happy to have that conversation. Yeah. During, during the meeting, I showed up to one of the recurring jokes was that I, I keep nerd sniping you on the podcast <laughs> in, in the meeting. So now I'm going to nerd snipe you and Charles Delfs at the same time. Um, yesterday I was hanging out with Mike Burgey. He's uh-huh. the one who taught me FileMaker development back in 2011 and 12. And we were hanging out yesterday doing some work on an old cedar chest. And uh, he casually mentioned, it would be nice if Dave worked with Delphs to do like FM perception for FM better forms. So that's it. You guys figure that out. But now we need a development analysis tool for FM better forms. (laughs) You're a terrible human being, Joe. Thank you. (laughs) So the good news is I can actually multiply attendance for that. The bad news is now I have to come up with topics. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about breaking it up and maybe having some standing ones. A, mm-hmm. a, you know, once a month doing the, I don't know anything about FM perception. Please tell me about it. Yeah. And that's the official meeting designation. Getting started. Um, yeah. Getting started with FM perception and FM comparison. Um. And then the other 3.3 weeks out of the month. Yeah, maybe add a recurring task to your list just on Monday, throw it out to the community on Twitter or in the, the Slack groups that you're in. Like who, yeah. who's got a, you know, suggestions for this week and then kind of percolate on that between you know, Monday and Thursday. Maybe announce the topic on Wednesday or Thursday morning rather yeah. than try to you know, wait till Thursday afternoon and 
you know, scrambled for a topic. I mean, heck, I didn't even tell people you were showing up until like two or three hours before the meeting. Yeah. And we got dramatically more people. So uh, the, the end result is apparently people don't really like the open-ended meetings. Mm. It, it might feel like they have to bring questions. Yeah. And I want people to be comfortable bringing questions, but apparently that, that places some weight on them that they want to avoid. Because once we got into the conversation, people were perfectly happy to ask tangential or even wildly unconnected questions to mm-hmm. the topic at hand because it was obvious at that point that it was a casual conversation and that community interaction was a good thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I should, I should point out that when I said Mike was helping me with a cedar chest, what I actually mean was he did all of the work while I stood there. <laughs> <laughs> like I did a little bit of sanding and yeah. Keeping somebody company while they're working is. I'm not super handy. And he is. It was the cedar chest equivalent of pair programming. Yeah. I helped. <laughs> Emotionally. 